Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, to have a real life, real time conversation with me, I have um, a returning guest. And she is a facilitator, a trainer, a creative, and for the purpose of this podcast, most importantly, a friend. So I have with me today, Luna Malbro. Luna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am surviving. Yeah. Which is a thing that I do well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, part of, you know, well, we were already slated, right, mm-hmm. to do this. So um, we've had this on the books for a while, but uh, things have shifted yep. um, in the country since we put this on the books. And so, in lieu of going down the route that I normally do with guests and asking them what their labor of love is, um, I am going to invite Luna back another time to talk to us about her labor of love. But today we are just going to have some real talk about self-care in the midst of craziness. I love it. Okay. So um, not particularly prescriptive, We're just kind of going to dialogue, but for some context, um, Luna, Daniel Hughes, and myself did a podcast uh, several weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago. Time is elusive. I can't even tell you what today is, but (laughs) (laughs) several weeks ago, uh, we did a bonus episode, very impromptu. We hopped on the phone and this was right after... Ahmaud Arbery had been murdered and we hopped on the call together really just to have a conversation and the conversation was recorded and we shared that conversation. Um, I felt that one, we just needed to dialogue. I trust them. They're friends. Um, We do social justice and racial equity work alongside one another, sometimes together. And part of my sharing it as a podcast was to give people access to real life conversations about, uh, com- about race and things that people aren't talking about. And um, it was a very good conversation. I will say that it is the most listened to podcast episode that Labors of Love has done. So people are listening. Um, and so now uh, we are here yet again after numerous things have happened, but namely another murder of another black man, this time um, at the hand of an on-duty police officer instead of an ex-police officer, both of whom were white. And so when we're talking self-care today, um, we're talking self-care in the midst and talking about how we're impacted by white supremacy, um, racism, and oppression, uh, particularly towards black and brown bodied people. So 
with that being said uh how are you taking care of yourself luna and and where are some of the challenges in taking care of yourself well i'll start by um i'll start by saying (laughs) challenge number one it's time for us to, I, I, I have a lot of feelings about social media and it being used as a tool, but also when we're on social media, we have to understand that Facebook, Instagram, Twitter are problematic companies in and of themselves. And every time we're putting our eyeballs on it, we're like feeding part of this beast. But I did see this, um, this thing on Instagram from Jamila Reddy who is this amazing um, black person uh, who's like a healer and an energy worker, a light worker, as I will call them. And Jamila shared that going inwards is a protest too. And that if we are saying, if we're doing this work and if we're saying black lives matter, then we have to say to ourselves, well, my life matters too. So how am I showing up for myself in a way that is reminding myself that my life matters. Like there's so much things, there's so many external forces that we are dealing with that like, how do we, how do we create the internal forces to combat that? Right? Like we're getting messages from the moment we're born that our life doesn't matter. So there's so much work that we have to do to combat that. And that's where my focus is right now. That's where my self care has been. That looks like taking a, a 15 mile hike yesterday, Sunday. Um, that looks like eating healthy foods. That looks like beginning a meditation practice. That looks like reading some books, staying off social media, um, not answering my phone. I didn't answer my phone all the time before, but like now I'm really like, <laughs> I don't have to leave me alone. So uh, those are some of the some of the things that I've been doing. Uh, and I know this is going to be a much broader conversation around self-care, but that's kind of like where I'm at right now with it. No, I, I very much appreciate you sharing that um, from your perspective. You know, when I think about self-care, um, taking care of myself, I have had some challenges over the last few days. Um, I guess for context for me, um, what what started my um, my dis-ease was Amy Cooper. <laughs> we may or may not talk about that in depth, but Amy Cooper is the white woman in Central Park who would not leash her dog, who then weaponized her fragility, her womanness, her white womanness, and her privilege. Um, and called the police on a black man who asked her to leash her dog. And that began churning something in me. Um, And then, um, yeah, when, when George Floyd was killed, um, it just, it, it bubbled, it bubbled. Um, But honestly, what sent me over the proverbial edge were, people's response to both of those incidents mm-hmm. and the justifications and the rationalizations and 
all of that that was taking place. So where I defaulted this time was not where I normally rest when things like this happen. Uh, per my survival strategies for as long as I can remember, um, I had a tendency to default to freeze. Mm. And freeze allowed me to observe my surroundings and look for an avenue out. And that avenue out was always in the form of shape-shifting or people-pleasing. Mm-hmm. So I had to freeze so that I could see whose company I was going to be in, what they were thinking and feeling, and then I would move over to match those or at bare minimum, not disrupt those. And mm-hmm. so that is a pattern, whether I liked it or not, now that I am um, doing my own healing work, I realized, okay, that's the pattern I'd fallen into. But what I realized this time is I did not default to freeze, but I have moved into fight Mm -hmm. and fight. Um, it's very active. It's using my voice. It's being vocal. It's not trying to retreat under a rock and not have an opinion because I'm afraid of disconnection and why Mm -hmm. self-care I think has been more challenging this time is because I've never been here before. Mm -hmm. Right. This is new for me. And this is what I'm trying to help myself understand because I I do have a lot of supportive people around me and I just didn't understand like how, how my body's responding to all of this and, and all of this. And I realized, oh, this is different because I've never been here before, not for a long time. I would have moments where I would launch into fight, but then swiftly move back out. And so Mm -hmm. It is very interesting as I figure out how to take care of myself, being that I'm in a different place. Um, Yeah. Another discovery I had probably earlier today or last night. um, Yeah, it was today because I've had a number of people reach out to me and they've been very supportive in the sense that they're simply saying, let me know what support looks like for you or not even asking, like just I'm here if you need anything. And I've had a number of people request to send me food. And what that helped me realize is like, oh, I'm in mourning. Mm. I am actively grieving. I am in mourning. And just having that lens has helped me a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Because I've mourned before. Like I've been grieving before. And so that lens has helped me feel a little bit more in control of being able to take care of myself. How do I need to take care of myself when I'm mourning? And that has that's, that has really been a frame to help me um, mobilize my self-care, if you will. Mm-hmm. Did any of that resonate with you? It does. I mean, I I feel like I'm not in fight. I think I'm somewhere between flee and flock mm-hmm. because I just have been in this space where I'm just like, I've been, I've been an advocate and at times an organizer at times, like more, like it feels weird to be in this space now, not protesting because so often I have been in the streets, but um, this time I've stepped back because I'm plotting <laughs> more. Um, not to say that people on the streets aren't plotting, but I just feel like I'm in more of like a 
Um, I'm trying to keep your podcast away from like my theories on everything that's going on because I don't want your listeners. (laughs) Well, I'll just say that I'm in a space where I'm just like, this is what COVID-19 has showed me. I'm in three different zip codes right now. I'm, I'm currently in San Francisco. My family's in Louisiana. I live in Ohio. Every city, every state has been responding to COVID-19 completely differently with completely different suggestions on how to move throughout the space with completely different um, (laughs) kind of like cultures and understandings of science, right? Of something, even though the science isn't clear, science is supposedly supposed to be objective. So what that has taught me when it comes to when I look at racial justice is that we are on our own and there is no collective United States government. We are very much a country made up of separate spaces, cultures, and nations. And so what I've been on is like word. All right, let me just build for my own. When I say my own, I don't mean like myself and my nuclear family, but it's just like, what are some grassroots, like uh, community-focused strategies that I can easily do. Like, I believe that housing is a right. How can I be opening up my house for other people? Like, that that's the level that I'm on right now because I'm like, oh, we don't have a government. Like, that's where I'm like, I'm like mm-hmm. oh, there's no unified. All right, like, you know, we can protest, but there's no unified. There's no, who are we protesting? Because from point A, from from Minneapolis to California to Cincinnati to Louisiana, it's like they all doing their own crazy shit. So we can rise up together, yes. And I'm not saying that's not valid, but just structurally, I've I've found that through COVID nineteen we are a lot less um, unified than what we might have assumed that we were. Mm. So. I am my part of my self-care and part of my process right now is just really in this space of like dreaming and trying to build. And it's completely possible that that is also a space of uh, avoiding the grief that I feel. Not only is it completely possible, it's also like it's I will say it is me avoiding the grief that I feel because I'm like, I can't focus on grief. I'm like too busy focusing on building like what is the world I want to live in, you know? So I'm not making space for my grief in that way and have purposely tried to avoid those things that remind me of my grief, you know? That's real. No, I appreciate that. You know, as you were talking, um, what was coming up in my body was um, I I have had a difficult time sleeping the last several nights, mm-hmm. um, have not wanted to eat. And here's the thing, that don't happen to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Especially the eating part. Like I have been through a lot of things, but when I get to a point where I have to eat because I know I need to survive, but I, I have no desire and nothing tastes good, that is a signal for me that like, whoa, what's, you know, something significant is really happening within me. And so that's where I've been. And I, I do a lot of work with people trying to get them to connect to their bodies. Right. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. what is your body communicating? How can we create safety for our bodies? And one of the things that um, happened to me last night that was very, very powerful, but really informed how I, I, why this is so heavy, right? This is not new. Let me be clear. This is not new, right? Mm -hmm. These are not new events. This is not new. However, I was sitting, I was really wrestling with why is it hitting me so differently? Um, Now I understand that I have, I've been doing my work, my own personal healing work. And so it's different because I'm at a different place, but um, there is an organization run by a beautiful human named Kara Michelle Pearson called Lilac Mm -hmm. and Indigo. Mm -hmm. And on Sundays, um, she hosts virtual movement sessions um, and I think it's called Slow Sunday. Hopefully mm-hmm. I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay, Slow Sunday. And I've been wanting to participate, um, but I hadn't had an opportunity. But last night I was stuck, right? I'm supposed to be writing, by the way. Missed the deadline already, <laughs> but I'm supposed to be writing and I, I'm stuck. Like I can't get these words out of me. And so I said, I'm going to participate in this movement class. And so I go into this movement class, which is specifically designated to help uh, women tap into their courage, um, their power, their sensuality, Mm. right? They're Mm -hmm. feminine. And so, um, and I ain't gonna lie, based on my historical experiences, especially um, with the close proximity to the Christian church growing up, some of those words were real, like, scary, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But in my you know, personal growth. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm exploring all these things. So anyway, I go into this movement class and again, it's movement geared towards helping you to slow down, breathe, Mm -hmm. relax, Mm -hmm. come in community with your body. Notice that you have a body, right? So Mm -hmm. what I began to realize last night is I am always doing body work and having other people do body work, but internal body work, Never have I asked someone to touch your body, right? Mm -hmm. Not very few. I don't meaningfully touch my body. Mm -hmm. And so when she offered that invitation to just touch your body, your body exists, right? And it exists. I, I started to really like at one point I was close to sobbing when I realized Mm -hmm. that Throughout my life, my body, my belief system around my body is that it's not my own Mm. and that its power and its strength and its usefulness are for other people, other Mm -hmm. people's work, other people's pleasure, other people's whatever. And so as I'm sitting there doing this and realizing how I need to grieve that, right? And so to be clear, that is through sexual abuse I've experienced across my lifespan. Mm-hmm. But then I sat there and with my eyes closed and as vividly as I can describe, I just began to see slave auctions in my mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. unprovoked, right? And I just felt this weight internally and externally, my body physically began to hurt because I thought, well, this is what I say, right? Generational trauma travels from generation to generation until somebody is willing to feel it, heal it, and let it go. 
Mm-hmm. I've made this declaration, but what even in saying that, what I didn't fully understand is not just feel my own, feel every single generations that mm-hmm. hasn't been able to thus far. Mm-hmm. The weight I felt last night was so immense. I can't even fully describe it. Mm. When I think of my my ancestors' bodies in this country have not been their own, right? Were yeah. used for other people's profit and benefit and pleasure. And, and the weight of that came crashing down on me last night. Mm. And it was so overwhelming. I literally just sobbed. Mm. I'm pretty sure I was sobbing in my sleep, right? Like it was just so heavy. It was just so heavy. And, and so I'm extremely thankful for my partner who, you know, he just asked, like, can I rub your back? So he was trying to move some of that for Mm -hmm. me and just kind of massage that and kind of just soothe that. But it was just this internal and external weight of what I have taken up the mantle to feel. Yeah. Feeling all of that. And I offer that because it it lives in our collective body as black people in this country. Absolutely. Our ancestors were stolen. Right? So the irony of people <laughs> being pissed off about looting, right? Like I'm I'm trying to stay on the <laughs> but it's just like Ah, right. We feel this collectively and whatever the response is, like just in, I just want, I'm giving my narrative because mm-hmm. I am hoping that that might resonate for some people who don't literally understand why their skin hurts. Like, why right. does my skin hurt right now? Like, why do I have a headache? Why, why does my stomach hurt? Why am I constipated? Why do I have diarrhea? Why am I vomiting? Why am I nauseous? Why does my chest hurt? Why does my body hurt? Because every time we are inundated with images of murder of people Mm -hmm. who look like us, it Mm -hmm. is no different than modern time being dragged out to watch your family hung, beaten, sold. Exactly. So we have these things called mirror neurons, mirror, like M-I-R-R-O-R. And mirror neurons um, allows us to understand what a person is feeling without having to use necessarily their words to tell us that. Mirror neurons help us tell the difference between when someone actually means something and when they're being sarcastic. So if I say, Luna, you get on my nerves, right? If we're looking at each other um, and we have that relationship you know that that means, girl, I love you. (laughs) That doesn't mean you get on my nerves, right? Um, People, our brothers and sisters on the autistic spectrum, their mirror neurons um, don't work the way that others do. And so they are more literal. Uh, Sarcasm is hard to really tease out. Oftentimes they'll look at your mouth while you're talking instead of your eyes, where a lot of us are looking at another person's eyes or their eye region. It helps us determine if people are safe um, or if they are a threat. Uh, all these things, mirror neurons, the way they work is if you're eating food, it will allow the brain to simulate kind of what it would be like for me eating food. So I might start to salivate even though I'm not eating. 
Mm. someone walking down the street smiling what it does is your brain starts simulating scenarios of what would cause you to smile and you start to smile so when they say smiles are contagious that's mirror neurons working okay Mm -hmm. so when we realize the impact that mirror neurons has on our ability to relate to other human beings and then we understand that our mirror neurons work better with people who look like us Now take all that information and think about how many times we scroll on social media feeds and see videos of black people being killed and murdered, right? And the connection that that makes for us internally, right? And how our brain will begin to simulate what that experience is like for someone else. And so part of it is when you talk about the use of social media, the intentionality of why it's like that, right? So let's be fair. White mm. people get murdered. Mm-hmm. They do. You don't see that flooding your timeline. And, and to think that, you know, this it's not about social justice, right? Mm-hmm. That we are seeing George Floyd's body snuffed out, right? Over and over again. But the intentionality of these platforms to continue on the traumatizing cycles yep. that have existed since our very, since the time we were brought to this country. Exactly. And being able to look at these things from that perspective, I think, and I'm hoping will inform how we utilize the information in these platforms, because it is 100% certainly traumatizing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not unfortunate. It's not, no, this is intentional re-traumatizing and re-traumatization of black people that are happening. Yeah. Yeah. And without this understanding, sometimes we become we become complicit in that part of the process and the cycle. Um, and so part of it is just when we start to realize this, how we can like don't share the video. Mm-hmm. You know, like that that that's one option we have to mm-hmm. to not feed into this cycle that gets played out. Um, so yeah, I thought it was important to bring that up. Yes. And I love that you called it a snuff film because, and you said that it's intentional because it may not be intentional for you if you are someone who's sharing it, but it is intentional for certain people who are sharing it and just understanding that there is an intention behind it that is malintended is important, right? And just understanding how that even if it's their good intentions behind it, how that can be damaging to the psyche is important. Uh-huh. So um, I'm so glad that you named that. Well, and the desensitization of it all, right? Mm-hmm. And and when we think about that, like I was fast writing kind of a little while ago, just kind of getting it out. And one of the things that came out is I don't watch murder unless it's criminal minds. And I love criminal minds, right? I watch mm-hmm. it. And the gruesome murder scenes, they it, I'm so desensitized to it now. I'm on my second run through of the series. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's also interesting that when I notice my body, how different an episode is if they have um, black people who are killed, right? By Mm -hmm. and large, it's white unsubs, (laughs) killers, you know, and white victims. I, Mm -hmm. you know, as I started to think about this, I thought about how I would not be able to watch that show if it reversed, right? If it was mainly black people doing the killing and black people being murdered. Um, so even just thinking about like, again, like you said, it's not necessarily our intentionality or, or things that we're doing. We have these 
intentions that are probably motivated by goodness and all these other things. But when we understand the system at large, and for me, um, holding space for Black people right now is not challenging for me. Um, it's it's not. It doesn't feel like labor being able to bring other people in to talk about and discharge the distress and do that. Um, but what has become increasingly exhausting for me is holding space for white people around these oh, issues yeah. yeah, and noticing how that feels in my body. And even being able to name that, that's not something I've historically noticed or named. Right. Um, so again, as the things are just popping off my head, that has become increasingly um, is being brought to my, my awareness more and the weight of, or expectation that so many white people have for black people to educate them on Mm -hmm. all the things that are happening. And where I found myself is when I was in freeze again, when I was in that space of acquiesce, when I was in that space of shape shift then I would have these very, you know, well-intentioned means to have dialogues with people, mm-hmm. um, help them see a perspective because I, I am good at that, holding multiple perspectives um, and, and translating in a way that people can hear one another. It's what makes me an effective couples and family therapist because I can do that. But what I found mm-hmm. now is I have no interest in dialoguing with anybody right now. I want, I, I don't mind educating, but what I found to be it like completely exhausting and I decided I'm done is when engaging in the education process to help people understand what's happening specifically around the systemic trauma that has been perpetuated on black people since we've been in this country and helping people to understand, um, how that in how that impacts right now. Well, that's what I do every day. That's trauma. I help people understand right. trauma. So this doesn't feel out of my league. I'm very articulate. I'm good at it. But what really, 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 really pisses me off is when I am encountering someone to provide them what I consider to be a gift. Me giving you this is a gift, right? Mm-hmm. It's a gift you can't get on your own because white people in this country don't have this perspective. And when people treat it like, I guess I'll listen to your little opinion, listen. And those might not be the words, but just kind of this, this notion of no, no, this is not a back and forth. And so ultimately, I guess what I'm saying is I need white people to shut up. (laughs) I need them to close their mouths and I need them to listen with their bodies because the notion that racism only impacts Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color is wrong. It impacts white mm-hmm. bodies too. Um, oh, absolutely. And their inability, based on the system that has created them, to silence themselves and learn is so freaking annoying right now, right? <laughs> so anyway, appreciate that. need to get that out. <laughs> get it out. Yeah. No, it's annoying. and I just, I feel like I... I feel when I want to be in spaces where um, blackness is centered, and um, I I definitely want to be in those spaces right now. Even in, and it, it's interesting because I I think that I was in a place previously 
And sometimes my work is being this place. Like literally what I do for a living is being the, in the space of being the person who tries to communicate and educate white people about racism and how to be anti-racism. And that's the work that I do from nine to five and occasionally seven. Mm-hmm. But personally, I have no space for this space right now. And I feel very lucky to have um, many white people in my life who are on the journey, but have been on the journey for a while. So I don't have to explain this to them, which is great. And I'm that I feel grateful for that because had were I to be surrounded by white people who are asking me to help them understand right now. I would not have any capacity for that. And and I see many of my black brothers and sisters are in that space, but I'm very grateful that I'm not because the white people around me are trained. <laughs> yeah. Like I've gone through literal training. And I advise you as a black person to not have people in your life on a outside of colleagues that have not um, committed to doing ongoing work and understand that that anti-blackness is part of what they grew up with and that there's something to constantly be unlearned. Like we don't have any time anymore to be in relationship with people who are not committed to being on this lifelong journey. Girl, that's so real. It, it really is. <laughs> um, Yes, I, I, I too have, like I said, a lot of people have been checking up on me. A uh, vast majority of them are my white friends who, again, are not looking for me to do anything. I have had a number of people send me encouraging um, messages and letters to talk about the impact that just my being has had on them. And like they're striving to just be better humans um, and better white people and, and, and work against white supremacy and all of those things. And so I do, I do appreciate that. And even beyond, I, when you said that it stuck, it struck me that I spent so much of my life, um, clinging to whatever relationships I could for fear that if people, if I, if I gave them a choice to choose, they wouldn't choose me. Right. So again, Mm -hmm. we're talking about my developmental, my relational trauma, all these stuff, all these different things, um, start doing my healing work. And one thing that it, it helps me to realize is that my presence in relationship is a gift. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when it is a gift and other people's presence in relationship is a gift to me, but when I only viewed it as other people being a gift to me, then I would just be all over the place doing whatever I felt like I needed to do to be connected with people. And you're right. No, I don't have space and capacity for people who are not willing to do their work. Right. Mm-hmm. Like their trauma work their all of that. I just, I don't, I don't have space and capacity for people who are not healing, who are not moving forward. And it gets further exacerbated when people don't see there's a big deal. Like if nothing else, I would feel like there's enough information out there to at least not say I'm colorblind and I don't (laughs) see color, even if you don't believe it. Right. I just feel like when people are coming kind of with these same things and yeah, it, it, it is just, it's an overwhelming state. I said the other day, I don't, I don't know that I had ever come to the place where existing felt so overwhelming going back to Mm. the body. Like when you can breathe air and know 
that like the systems around you were intended for your demise. Um, it, mm-hmm. it just, that, that is, that is a very overwhelming, frustrating, um, nauseating, uh, experience. Um, yeah. So we started off talking about like our own self-care. Um, I don't know if I actually said, I don't know what I'm doing for self-care. I'm still figuring it out. I think I did say that. And you said you are kind of taking your Black Lives Matter and turning it inward. How does my life matter and do that? But I do want to spend a little bit of time kind of giving some context or even just discussing those whose self-care is more active. You said it used to be, you know, you would be out protesting. So can you, can you just talk about that a little bit? Where I'm going and aiming is really wanting to have a discussion around um, how the system, the white supremacy, patriarchy system that we all live in likes to create narratives for mm-hmm. what's happening and how even with the best of intentions, we espouse those same narratives. So the looters, if you will, or those who are oh, rioting, right. you know, the difference between protesting and rebelling and rioting and are those words interchangeable and what does that all mean? Can you just start start talking to me about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I will say um, this is what I what I want people to understand and realize is that there are people, um, tons of people in the community who have been doing this work ongoing. This is what they do. They wake up and they do this work. They sit in this work. They do this all the time. And so um, pay attention when you feel like, oh my gosh, I got to do something. You go to those people first who have been doing the work because they will tell you. And so what I think happens so often in these moments and in these movements is that people feel inspired and they want to take to the streets, but they don't understand that there is there are people to actually follow. There are people, there are, there are reasons, there's a strategy that has been laid out. There are people who have been doing this a lot longer who understand a lot more than you do. So seek those people out because it's very easy to get caught up in the trap and the narrative so to speak, of like, this is this is the protest. Like, this is the work. It's like, that's actually a demonstration. Mm-hmm. There's actually policy. There's actually work. There's actually, there's strategy. There's there's ask. Those, that's also work too. You know what I mean? So know when you're going out in the streets, you're demonstrating. You're, you're showing up in numbers to physically uh, visualize and help change the narrative. Um, in the news, but that that's not where the work stops or that's not where the work started. And so I feel like that is a huge misconception that's out there is that, oh, if I just show up and I'm out here, like I'm out here in these streets, like this is the work, like that's part of it, but that's not the full thing. And I just want people to be aware of that. Um, And I think there were times when I got caught up in that narrative too, of like, oh, I'm out here, like this is it. But you you pay attention, you listen, like organizations like Black Lives Matter, um, you know, and in Cincinnati, like Iris Rowley, all, all of these people who have been working on the collaborative agreement in Cincinnati, been doing all this work, like follow them, <laughs> mm-hmm. follow those people um, and stay tuned. It's not just a one-off thing. It's not like a, I went out this night 
my job is done. You got to stay committed to it. You got to continue to be having these conversations. Um, and I do think that we have to come, we have to come to terms in this country. We, that white nationalism is strategic and they've been radicalizing people and they continue to radicalize people and there's a strategy to it. And they're using demonstrations to continue radicalizing people. And they're wanting um, things to get violent. I mean, we can see this from Charlottesville. But my frustration is we all saw Charlottesville. We all saw, like, uh, continue to see white men show up with militia. And then we go back to da-da-da-da-da. Like, wait, I'm like, I'm sorry. Can we, can we... <laughs> Can we remember that there's like groups of militia out there plotting and strategizing or we're just going to forget about that? Oh, okay. We're just going to post the Martin Luther King meme and forget that people are like strategizing with army grade equipment. We're not going to go back to that? No? Okay. So we also have to respond to that, right? Um, white nationalism and people radicalizing white people. And so this is why it's so important for white allies to be doing that work outside of making a post and showing up in their community and having difficult conversations with family members and build relationships with these people because people get radicalized when they're lonely. They get radicalized when they feel isolated. They feel radicalized when they feel ostracized, when they feel dumber than. And people who are progressives are really great at making people feel stupid. We do that really well. <laughs> we like we like our words. We like our jargon. We like to like shame people if they feel like they don't know the right lingo. We do that really well. So it's important to continue for those of you who can have the space and capacity to build relationships, to build relationships. Let me say that again, because I feel like this doesn't get emphasized enough. If you have the space and capacity to build relationships, build relationships. But if that's not you, if you're a Black person focusing on your survival and your self-care, that shouldn't be on you to go out and try to hug a racist and do all that bullshit that they were trying to get us to do four years ago. Go hug a cop. No, we don't have to hug a cop. You get your cousin to go talk to somebody else. Don't ask mm -hmm. me with all my trauma to put my trauma aside and go hug someone who represents violence to me. Don't ask me to do that. That's not doing anything. So anyway, um, those are a few thoughts that come to mind. <laughs> no, that's so great. I, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't need to hug a cop. I don't. Um, so <laughs> I, I start thinking about um, rioters and the narrative that has been placed around them. Right. So I think sometimes how over, I'm just going to say, yeah, over the last many, too many years, many, many, we, something would happen in the, in the black community, a black person would be oppressed or wronged or murdered. And there would be someone who would say, well, if that, if that had been a white person, Mm -hmm. And then we start speculating like how things would have been different. What has struck me the most is like, we, it's not figurative anymore. It's not hypothetical. Yeah. We have things that are happening, right? So there are white people with military grade 
<laughs> weapons walking into federal buildings <laughs> and yelling at law enforcement officers. Right. Like this is this this is this was happening. Like it's it, it wasn't a movie. It wasn't like I bet if this would happen, it wasn't an artist or a creative or a cartoonist drawing it or or making a video about it and putting a song to it. No, this was really legitimately happening. Mm-hmm. Right? And there was a response. There was a response. And that response was and I'm talking about directly who containing myself is hard from the president, right? Mm-hmm. Of of the United States. These are really good people. Mm-hmm. They are just tired. Do something. Talk to them, right? Meet their needs, right. so to speak. He wish right. he were that eloquent, right? But that's what he was communicating. These are fed up, tired people. Listen to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who have taken to the streets, right? And the narrative before anything turned violent, really. Um, and many, many reports of violence and destruction of property, starting with white people, right? But that's not what you see. It's not the image that feeds the narrative. So then the thugs come out. It It is so disgusting to me that like my stomach hurts. Mm. That you don't have, like, it's no more, well, you know, how this, George Floyd was um, suspected of forgery. Mm-hmm. What was Dylan's last name? Who, okay, killed all them black people. And then we see legitimate pictures of him, nicely handcuffed, bar- stopping by yeah. Burger King. To get him food, like the rage that I have managed to learn to contain in my body, but Mm -hmm. other people haven't been given the opportunity to exercise that control. Like I get it. Like I 100% get it. And the thing that is so, so very, very frustrating to me and always has been is I get how the brain works. I get how, um, and, and you know who else who gets how the brain works? Social media and mm-hmm. media across okay. the board right yeah. and so it 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 works how the brain works it gives you the narrative you need to continue believing the things you believe mm-hmm. that's just that's what it is that's why i can know someone who has different beliefs or perceived different beliefs in the things that come across their social media feeds and things that come across mine are so are different even though we're friends on social media so different right because they're feeding that. So you talk about the radicalization of um, white nationals and all this, it's coming across their feeds in whatever way that is. And so we no longer have to like say, what if he were white or what if he were black or if that was a black person or if that was a white person, it's happening all the time. And the inability or unwillingness for people to just slow down enough to listen to their bodies, connect with that, breathe, and then be rational it's mm-hmm. so it's so frustrating to me. It's it's the people who continue to espouse the same narrative. And and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I I just there there are those of us who do the work to help. Like you said, people have been community organizing and and mobilizing communities 
towards ending oppression for a really, really, really long time. And mm-hmm. we're not we're not using them for their wisdom. There are right. people who have been helping people to understand how the brain and body works, what implicit bias is and how that works. There are people who you and I are two of them, <laughs> people mm-hmm. who can help people understand their privilege. Mm-hmm. Right. And just this. Yeah. When murder doesn't even make you want to even take a pause. It's just, it's very disheartening to say the least. Yeah. It sure is. But that's why we better keep on. I mean, there comes a point where it's just like, it's almost like a, a bad breakup when you're going through a breakup. I think there's a period where you say like, you, 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 you know, you did all these things. You did these things to me, but at a certain point you have to say, all right, that may or may not be true. Some things were done to me, but what do I need to do for myself right now in this Mm -hmm. moment? And that's that work of like turning in inward and saying, okay, these external factors are going around. And let me just be clear with this. Well, while I have my, it's not a tinfoil, it's like a a crown of steel. Okay. It's fly. It's my, it's not a tinfoil hat. It's like a tinfoil crown. It's fly. Um, Well, Mm -hmm. I have one. Let me just say that I feel like things are going to get worse because we are still in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. We are in the beginnings of, uh, the economic recession I think has just begun and we're starting to see a police state emerge. Mm -hmm. So with all that turmoil, I would just want people to be thoughtful about, uh, you know, I think for a while we had these like fantasies about like when it goes back to normal, I think we need to sit with the fact that this may be the new normal. um, And this is the new normal. And so how do we adjust and how are we, how do, how do we take care of ourselves literally as the world is on fire like what do we need to do to stay grounded uh and make sure that those things are not external things like you going to the club may have been your primary source of (laughs) dancing it out and and feeling joy and feeling alive but that may not be the thing that you can do so we got to really strategize and re-strategize into best practices and ways of taking care of ourselves because the world around us is changing and we have to adapt to that. We can't be stuck in that, you know? Yes. Thank you. Um, I feel like that was an appropriate call to action. Um, I think my plea and my call to action is one um, that people in general don't like and don't want to do, but man, it's, it's micro level trauma and it's macro level uh, oppression. Mm. And that is look at history. Mm. Period. Look at history. My, my work solely clinically revolves around me helping people understand how the experiences they have had in their lives formed a template And that template plays out every single day. And when they're having trouble individually in their relationships with work, whatever it is, we have to go back to what are your worldviews, beliefs, and behaviors that were formed in your family system 
when you were growing up because that is how you're viewing the world. That's an individual person. Once we've got a grip on that, I then say, but it didn't start with you. That's a great book, by the way. It didn't start with you. I'm sorry, I don't know the author right now, but it's a book on epigenetics um, and generational trauma. And it goes to, but what was your mama's template? What was your daddy's template? What were your grandparents' templates, right? Once you start to understand the history of your family, you understand how you engage with the world better. Mm-hmm. Look at history. Every single person who will ever hear this podcast is living on stolen land. Mm-hmm. Built by labor that was stolen. And if you if we if if this country is not willing to look at its history and how we've come to this part, there will be no healing. I cannot emphasize uh Resma Menikim's book my grandmother's hands enough. He actually has a free e-course out right now. So breeding, not your thing, sign up for his free web e-course <laughs> that will give you an introduction. And the, why is this important? Because what I just said lives in our bodies, whether you want to admit it or not. So here's my thing to white people. You do not have to acknowledge white privilege for it to be a thing. You do not have to acknowledge white supremacy in order for it to be a thing. And you won't acknowledge it because you are so benefactors of it in a way. But when people begin to realize, especially white people, that you too are pawns in a greater scheme of things, you would probably be pissed off too. Mm -hmm. But because the system has convinced you of this hierarchy in which just because they have created the narrative that you are above Black, Indigenous, and people of color, you are still being used to perpetuate the historical themes of white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism and all of these things that in some ways I don't want to get rid of, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm knee deep in capitalism, I am, but it's look at the history. Um, When you see someone doing something that is so, when you think, what are you thinking? Who would do that? That's crazy. That's dumb. What were they? All that does is that tells you what part of the brain it's coming from. And when it's not logical and it's not rational, it's coming from the survival center of the brain. And so when you're looking at people and you're saying, you know, People who are out there taking looting stuff and breaking into businesses and destroying cars, you know, they're not, first of all, you don't get to assign intent. Mm -hmm. And I see that happening too much. You know, they don't care. They're doing this. They were never for this. We, you don't get to assign intent, but think about what has to have happened to people for them to resort to that level of communication. Mm -hmm. because this is all communication and yeah so anyway and and I want to be clear like I train on this stuff y'all if you really want to know reach out to me and if and I can point you to other people who are doing the work take the e-course right there is a lot of information out there um but being stuck 
and your own way of thinking without taking into account anything that lies outside of your lived experience is pure ignorance. And it's, it's, it's devastating to uh, marginalized people. And at least in my life, it won't be tolerated anymore. No. So time. <laughs> no time, capacity or desire. Um, they've all left the building yeah. on a permanent vacation. It's <laughs> more about desire than time, you know? Yeah. Let's talk well, about desire. You know, we always talk about time, but let's, we have desire as well. <laughs> and we don't have desire for that. Yep. 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 It, it's just, nope, not going to do it anymore. So <sighs> Luna, <laughs> I always appreciate our conversations and I, I appreciate when we can put our conversations on air. Um, I think just being real is one of the greatest gifts I've given humanity. Um, my perspective is not everyone's perspective. Luna and I are not intending to talk for all black people. Um, but our perspectives still matter yeah. and they're still real. Um, when we say we have a lot of work to do, I don't even know what that means. I mean, yes, um, I'm sure this has been said before, but I'm not looking to fix any system because the systems are not broken. The systems are working exactly how they were created to work. Um, mm -hmm. We need a new system. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so anyway, uh, I, I really appreciate people. the yeah, sorry. That's what I'm saying. I appreciate this time and being here with you, you know? Yeah, it's been real. To my listeners, um, here is my invitation. Take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. Make sure that your exhale is longer than your inhale. If you need help with that, Inhale to the count of five, hold for the count of seven, exhale for the count of eight. Um, do some breathing. If you listen to this um, and you were not intentionally and specifically paying attention to your body, I invite you to listen again. And, and, and notice where you get tension, tightness, hollowness, um, any kind of sensation when something is said, write that down, take a pause. I'm not asking you to think about what we've talked about. Thinking is not going to get you very far right now. I want you to experience what we talked about in your body before anything ever becomes a thought. It is a feeling. And before it's a feeling, it is a sensation in your body. Where did these things we talked about today hit you in your body? Note that. What shape, color, size, or image can you give to that sensation? Note that. What other experiences in your life have given you that shape, color, size, and sensation in your body? How are these two things connected? Do you feel hopeless? Do you feel helpless? Do you feel targeted? Do you feel unfairly blamed? Do you feel like a victim? B 
begin to listen to the wisdom and the history in your body. Then I invite you to listen to others and experience others with your body. Listen to Black people when they tell you their experience and know that that is a gift. Don't sit in a space trying to get people to validate their very real experiences to you when you have not lived a life in a system that from its inception was designed to oppress. Look up the definition of oppress. Ask yourself, how do I oppress others with my privilege, with my status, with my position? There is so much work to be done. And for all of the white people who consider themselves allies, who are allies, those inspiring to be an ally, the work does not start by reaching out to somebody else. The work does not begin by asking your black friend, how can I help? The work begins with you. The work starts by you getting connected to your body, your history, your privilege. How long has your family lived in this country? Did they own slaves? Where was that plantation? Now I'm talking about your history. Know your history in the history of this country and work through that in your body and and realize the advantages and privileges that were directly associated from it. Do that work. Don't start external, start internal. Don't separate yourself from the news story. Do not say, I wouldn't do that. Oh my God, those white people, when you are white people, own it. Come into community with how your collective people have influenced the narrative of this country and the Black, Indigenous, and people of color who live in it. That is my invitation for you. If you've made it this far through the podcast, I do value you and I do appreciate you listening. If you would like to reach out to me, my website is www dot the labors of we are on all the major social media outlets we have a youtube channel where every thursday we put out a therapy thursday video don't forget to share the podcast subscribe like it comment if you will support those of us who are doing the work until we connect again you all be well